Our scripture reading this morning is from two chapters in the book of John. We'll start out in John 11, 17 through 44, and then we'll be in John 21 through 10. So here's John 11, starting in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And now John 20, verses 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Well, hey, uh, good to be with you this morning. Happy Easter. My name is Nate. I serve as a pastor here at Redeemer City Church. Uh, just grateful to be with you this morning. Um, uh, Oliver O'Donovan um, recently was talking about 
different ways to contemplate the future. And he said there are three ways. He said there's anticipation, there's deliberation, and there's hope. Uh, anticipation is basically this, you know, the, the sun will rise tomorrow. You kind of know that. Uh, deliberation is when you begin to plan and strategize, right? Like, I'm going to set my alarm for six and get up or maybe hit the snooze for a while, right? That's, you're beginning to uh, deliberate what you're going to do tomorrow. And then there's hope. And hope is when anticipation and deliberation run out. And I don't know about you, the last two or three years, if it's taught us anything, it's that anticipation and deliberation have been turned upside down. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, and even when we plan, even that doesn't work out. And so we're left with hope. And really, here's the big question for this morning for each of us is, where is our hope? You know, last week, we, we started this series looking at how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection brings hope. And not just a cushy, squishy hope that sort of wishes for the best in circumstances, but a hope that goes deeper. A hope that actually, from its very foundation, actually changes everything about the present moment and even even how we live. And so last week we looked at how Jesus provides hope for sinners, and today on Easter we're focusing on this question. How does this Easter, how does news about these rumors of a resurrected Jesus, what does it do, what does it say to those who suffer? So here's your first question for this morning. Where is pain in your life? Where are you hurting? You know, it wasn't uh, a few weeks back. I was pulling up here early in the morning to get prepared, and um, I parked out front here, and there was a, a woman walking by across the street, and um, I got out of my car, and she's like, hey, what time do your services start? You know, and of course, you know, in about an hour and a half, you know, and please join us. And then across the way, I mean, we're like, she's a good 30 yards away from me, she begins to, in a couple minutes, unpack how she had moved here in November in the midst of losing her brother to COVID. Some of you, this morning, you know that loss. Others of you, you have, over this past stretch, had close relationships with family or friends that have just gone sideways. Others of you have been longing for good things like relationships and friendships and children, and they have, for whatever reason, not been fulfilled. Some of you have experienced injustice based on your race. Others of us, if we're honest, we've made decisions over the past couple years that have not been wise and not been good, and those choices have had consequences in our life. And now even those who are closest to us are affected by them. And we're trying to figure out, what do we do next? And here's what's interesting. Even if you're here this morning, and you can't relate to any of that, 
I would probably say check your pulse, but even if you can't relate to any of that, there's something about it you know. Like, you know that, like, tomorrow something like that could happen. So there's almost a present anxiety that can, you can face. Like, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but it might be something that will bring hurt and bring pain. So what do we do with our suffering? And what I love about this passage in John's Gospel is we have Jesus entering in to the suffering and pain of Mary and Martha. And you may not know this, we didn't, we didn't read the first part, but Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus that Lazarus, who Jesus knew, and they remind him whom you love, was sick. And, you know, they had seen Jesus heal. And so they said, Jesus, come, he's sick. And you know what Jesus does? He stays two more days. He doesn't go. And Mary and Martha, they come to Jesus with the same statement. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Some of you, some of us, if we're honest, we've thought that. <clears throat> or we've said it. We've just been honest. God, if you had shown up, this wouldn't have happened. And I love how the scripture gives voice to that. It doesn't move away from it. It actually deals with it. And Jesus, in this passage, offers them and offers us three things. Jesus offers truth. Jesus offers tears. And Jesus offers a living hope. So let me pray, and we'll unpack that. Father, um, Lord, you know that the pain that each of us uniquely feel in this moment, the way sin and suffering has disrupted our own lives. And just pray now, Jesus, that by the power of your spirit through your word, you would meet us as you met Mary and Martha. We ask you for this in your name. Amen. Well, truth. Jesus meets Martha with truth. You know, Martha's the first one to go out, and right after she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, it's almost like she realizes maybe that wasn't the best decision to say that. Um, she says in verse 22, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. You know, if you had that come out of your mouth, you're like, oh, wait, shoot, can I pull that back? I can't, but let me, you know, insert something here. And, and Martha, she responds in a way that is full of faith and, and trust. There's, there's something commendable about that. <clears throat> and some of you can maybe relate. There's this angst, or if you'd been here, but I, I know you're in it somehow. But Jesus doesn't leave her there. Uh, in verse 23, he says, your brother will rise again. And then right after that, Martha, who had, I'm sure, heard that statement by others who had wanted to comfort her, says this in verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. It's common belief of that day. There's a day coming in which he'll rise again. But Jesus does not leave her there. 
And he says this staggering statement in verse 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Now, there's so much that could be said about that statement, but let me mention two things. Firstly, this tells us something very significant about the identity of Jesus. For Jesus to say, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus is asserting that he is God. It is a statement of divinity, for only God can do what Jesus just said. There was a book put out back, um, it's like 70s, 60s, um, last century. His author was Houston Smith, and it was on the world religions. And this is a guy who studied world religions, and he said this. He said, there's basically only two people in all of history that have begged the question, not who are you, but what are you? In other words, there's something about you that there is an origin to you I can't explain. There's only two, and he said it came down to Jesus and Buddha. And so people would come to Jesus and Buddha and would want to basically say, you're God. And what's interesting is Buddha, every time, would say this, don't look at me, look at my teaching. He would rebuff it. But here's what's remarkable. Jesus, if you, for example, go to the end of John's gospel, there's a moment where Thomas is a disciple who doubts. And he says, hey, you know, unless I can put my finger in his side, unless I can, you know, see him and touch him, then I'll believe. And Jesus shows up and he does this. And then Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus does not rebuff it. He receives it. This statement by Jesus is a claim to his divinity. But also notice this. Jesus is offering something in the present moment. One commentator put it this way. Um, in me is not merely a remote resurrection in the distant future, but it is a life of the age to come which cannot be touched by death in the present. In other words, Jesus is bringing a present gift, not simply the promise of a future good. There's something in him. And here's what this means. When Jesus meets Martha with truth, he meets us with truth. And he's saying this, your hope, if it is found in me, is not merely something in a future event. It is found in a person. It is found in me. Jesus is revealing who he is so that Martha might have faith to trust him and know him. So she might rely on him in the midst of her sorrow and her grief. And it's exactly what we need. You know, a while back, a friend um, of mine had a, just a, a normal checkup and they uncovered a small mass on the appendix. And as some of those things go, you just have to wait for results. And you don't know when you're going to get them back. And it's like, the you know, you're just waiting. And she wrote this email to a friend she wrote this, please pray for me that I will trust more and more Christ with all of it. And she writes, it's a battle to stay out of the what ifs. We all feel that in some measure, right? The what ifs. 
But do you see what she's doing in that moment? She's pressing in, leaning into the one who can handle whatever happens on the other end of that, of that test result. She's leaning in. So Jesus offers truth, but secondly, he offers tears. Jesus continues on, and finally Mary comes out. And Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And in verses 33 to 35, look at how Jesus responds. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. This is stunning. So around six or seven years ago, our family went to the Mall of America and we showed up and we gave each of the kids some money. We said, you guys, here's some money, have fun. And right away, our youngest found a vendor and found a toy. She started playing with it. It was like, and she had all day to play with it. It took our oldest like all day to find what she wanted to buy. But for her, it was like right away. We got, but even before lunch, the toy had broken. As you might imagine, like her, you know, I mean, her face is completely, you know, downcast and she's got tears and she's frustrated. And as her father, I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to weep with you. You know why? Because I know I can go right back to the vendor and either ask for a replacement or pay an extra five bucks. Like I got this in the bag. I'm not going to weep with you. In fact, I'm a little frustrated. You're so concerned. Just trust me, you know? Isn't it interesting that Jesus has a different response to Mary? Think about it. Jesus knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It happens, and he knows he's going to do it. And yet he weeps. What does this reveal about him? It tells us this, that Jesus feels the weight and brokenness of suffering like you and me. And one of the reasons is is because we see here that not only is he God, he's also man. He's fully God and fully man. And listen, this is what it means. It means... This is remarkable. Think about this. Jesus knows exactly what Mary needs. He knows in that moment she doesn't need truth. She needs tears. I have been married to my wife Amanda for over 20 years. And um, I think I might get some amens here for a moment because if you've been married for any short amount of time, you understand as a husband how often you try to fix your wife, right? She comes home, you have a problem, you're like, hey, babe, let me fix it, right? And I'm not joking. It would be years upon years upon years. I think I'm getting a little bit better. You can talk to her after the service. But over and over again, what she wanted from me was not to fix it, but rather to listen and to sit with her in it. 
Listen, Jesus knows exactly how to meet us in our pain. There's a Psalm 34, 18. Listen to what it says about the Lord. It says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And that language of brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, that means to be overwhelmed with grief. And think about this for a moment. When Jesus shows up and he gets the question, Lord, if you'd been here, he would not have died. And she's crying and she's weeping and everybody's weeping around her. Jesus doesn't just say, all right, see you later. I can't handle all this emotion. But secondly, you know what else he doesn't do? He doesn't say, Mary, if you just had faith, you wouldn't be crying. He doesn't do that. Rather, he has compassion. Listen, some of you this morning, if you're honest, you don't need a sermon. You just need someone to sit with you and cry with you. And see, don't you see how we need both? We need both truth and tears, right? Like, if you just have truth and no tears, it's just, it's stoic. It it doesn't embrace where you are. If you just have tears without truth, where where are you going to stand on? What are you going to stand on when life falls out from under you? You need both. And Jesus meets Mary and Martha with both, and he offers the same to us. But it's not done yet. Jesus offers a living hope. And Jesus gets to the tomb. And in verse 38, it says this, Then Jesus deeply moved again. And what's interesting is you might think that Jesus is maybe just going to well up and, and cry again. But the actual word underneath that term legitimately means this. It means to snort with anger. He gets to the tomb and he is, I don't know how it looks, but he is snorting with anger. And the question is, what is he angry about? Tim Keller writes this, Jesus is raging against death. He doesn't say, look, just get used to it. Everybody dies. That's the way of the world. Resign yourself. Jesus is looking squarely at our greatest nightmare, the loss of life, life, the loss of a loved ones and of love, and he is incensed. He is mad at evil and suffering. And even though he's God, he's not mad at himself. And that tells you a little bit more about what the Bible says about evil and suffering in our world. And it's simply this. At the beginning, the world was not created with suffering. God made a good world. And yet the fallout into all the suffering was because our forebears rebelled against God and they sinned. And the effects of that are felt all the way down to our present moment. And Keller just notes our anger, our broken relationships, war, poverty, it ultimately comes down to our self-centeredness. And here's what's important. 
in order to end suffering, you've got to deal with the source of it. You've got to deal with sin. There's no end around. In fact, it's interesting because <laughs> you could say this, Jesus, why don't you just alleviate suffering and, and death? In fact, he'll, he'll raise Lazarus from the dead in a moment. We, we read it. He raises, speaks, it happens. So why not just do that over and over again? What's fascinating, if you keep on reading, once Lazarus is raised from the dead, those in charge, those of the, of the religious establishment, actually plan a plot to kill Lazarus because they don't want to lose power. And everybody's starting to follow Jesus. In other words, don't you see, sin is at work. That's a symptom of something greater, a greater need we have. And that's why John 11 is a signpost. The raising of Lazarus is a signpost, pointing us to something greater. That's what we read about in John 20. In John 20, if you remember briefly, a while back we read this, Peter and John get, get word from Mary that the tomb is empty. And it's so funny in the account, like John, who's writing the gospel, says, I outran Peter, you know? It's really kind of, just go back and read it. It's kind of funny. I love those little inserts there. Um, I was faster than Peter. I'd write that too if I was. But they get to the tomb, Right? And they look in, they see the clothes neatly folded that Jesus was buried in. And then it says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he had to rise. In other words, Peter and John are trying to put together what just happened. What is the meaning of his death? What is the meaning of this? And, and here it is simply. Here's what the rest of the New Testament unpacks. That in order to end evil and suffering and not end us, Jesus had to suffer with us and he had to suffer for us to pay for our sins and to rise victoriously over sin and death. And one day he promises to come again and consummate that victory. That is the news of this day. So here's the question, and it's the same question that Jesus asked Martha in verses 25 and 26 of chapter 11. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And there it is. Do you believe this? That, that is the question of the Gospel of John. Do you believe this? That's the question for each of us today. And let me just say a couple things. One is, you might be here this morning, and you might have been maybe dragged along with some friends or family, Maybe you lost a bet, I don't know. But you show up here and it's like, well, this is a nice story. I mean, I'm glad this gives some people hope. But it's nothing more than that. Or at least, how could it be? Let me, let me say a couple things to that. One is, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, writing about the resurrection, he says this, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And Paul's basically saying this, if it's not true then don't believe it. The sincere belief is not enough. The question is, is what you're believing true? Now, at that point, you might say, okay, great. Well, you know, uh, here's the problem. 
I know dead people don't rise from the dead. That just doesn't happen. Why would I put my faith in this? I mean, those people back then, they believed things like that, but we're modern. We don't believe that. So back in 1903, the Wright brothers returned from Kitty Hawk. After testing and flying their first plane, And when they got there, guess what? They were not met with parades or bands. They were met with skepticism. In fact, someone who knew them and knew them well said, it must have been the conditions down there. Others thought it was an accident. Still many others made no reference because it was embarrassing. And do you know why? Because there had been article after article where scientists had already explained in public print why it was impossible. And here's the point. Why would anyone believe two bicycle repairmen had figured out how to fly? It was implausible. It didn't make any sense. Therefore, reject it. Anybody gone flying recently? You see... They came to those events and they had a grid. It can't be true because of this. You know what's interesting? We actually see it in this passage. Back in in Jesus' day, there are basically two beliefs about the resurrection. One, the Greeks said, the physical's bad, the spiritual is good. So news of a bodily resurrection, that made no sense. If you were a Greek, you didn't want that. The, the, The physical was bad. But if you're Jewish, guess what? It was a future event. We saw it there. He'll rise again. But even the Jews had no way of thinking that one man in the middle of history would rise from the dead. And that's why no one shows up at the grave to see Jesus risen. Because they had no categories for it. Jesus is breaking all plausibility structures. And here's the deal. I'll just be honest. It doesn't necessarily mean that it happened. But I'll say this. I want to encourage you to humbly doubt your doubts. Because from that day forward, moving forward, there's a completely different understanding of this world. And the rumors of a resurrection have changed countless lives and civilizations. Do you understand this? You've got you've to make sense of that. James, James K. Smith puts it this way. What if there was someone who gathered up all that is lost? What if there was a beloved who could never die, who loved you first, whose love called everything into existence and is therefore stronger than death? The rumors of a resurrection say it's found in Jesus. There is someone. All right, lastly, How about some of us who believe, who say, I believe this, and yet the reality is this, you're walking through hard things. What what do you do in the midst of your suffering and pain? What does that news have to do with now? One of the things that I love about this passage is we see two weary, sorrowful, angry, confused sisters on the way to seeing their brother rise from the dead. But, but think for a moment, on the way there, they're confused, they're angry, and what does Jesus meet with them with? We've already gone through it. Truth and tears. And friends, 
You need the ministry of truth and tears in your life. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, Paul is saying this. You need the church. You need others who will walk alongside you and give you truth when you need it and give you tears when you need it. Do you have that? Who in your life, here's the question, can walk with you through these waters? Who is a wise friend who, as David Paulson puts it, can handle with care the fine china of your honest struggles? On Thursday night, um, the men from our city group got together and... um, it was a great night, and one of the things that was phenomenal about it is uh, in the midst of us sharing, one guy opened up and just shared some really hard stuff he was going through, and we listened, and then we prayed, and then another guy opened up and shared some stuff he was going through, and we gave some counsel, and we prayed, and what was amazing is the guy who had just shared was actually giving encouragement to this guy. Like, it was this... It was this knot of just guys trying to figure out life and walk through pain and suffering. And I'm telling you, that's critical. Some means of grace. Do you have someone you can trust and walk with? Then lastly, you've got to look up. Listen, check this. This news does not necessarily change the actual events around this moment. I mean... For example, Lazarus, I just told you, he rises from the dead, and after that, he gets a death threat. I mean, do you understand this? Like, his life just got harder in some measure. So it doesn't mean as you trust this, like, everything's, oh, my life's a perfect bow. It's not that. But here's what it is. It means this. You take your pain to him, and he can redeem it. You take your pain to him. In C.S. Lewis's tale, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, as the children enter Narnia, if you, if you know this story, you know there's a moment, well, though actually the whole book is mostly like, it's just cold, it's winter. And as the story unfolds, there's a question of this Aslan character, which is the Christ figure. And then in these moments of just pain and suffering, in the middle of winter, and there's an old rhyme that they have that they stick with that, that, that they stick with in order to encourage them. And this is what it says: Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death, and when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Friends, this morning. Here's our old rhyme. Apply it to your lives. Apply it to your pain. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again.
Let's go to him now. Let's pray. Father, um, (laughs) we come to you this morning grateful for this news of the resurrection. And Lord, just pray this morning for those who are leaning in to this news, wondering if it could be true. Would you meet them where they are in the midst of their doubts? So grateful how you've met countless others in the midst of their doubts. So pray you'd meet them. Give them grace to see the hope that's found in you. And Lord, pray for those this morning who are weary, who are struggling to just hold on. Lord, pray you'd surround them with others that could minister the truth and tears. Lord, give grace to us this morning to look out and to move towards those who are hurting and in pain and to be the hand and feet of Christ. In Jesus, we give you thanks that today we can pray to a risen King who meets us right where we are. And we give you thanks. It's in your name we pray. Amen.